direct from Montreal, Canada. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon from uh, deep inside the uh, isolation cave uh, that I'm currently in. It, it, it is great over here. It's great. It's, uh, it's quiet, very quiet, but uh, music is what is going to keep me sane. And one of my favorite artists, Huey uh, Lewis and the News, recently, recently put out a new album called Weather. And uh, it's only about six or seven songs. In fact, it's seven songs. And listen, I love it. it. They were supposed to uh, complete the album, you know, have a 10 or 12 song thing. Uh, the front man, Yui, got, uh, got sick with this uh, disease for the uh, with his ears. And of course, uh, they weren't able to complete the album. So they put out what was available and ready to go. And of course, uh, when I was a young, young whippersnapper, the, uh, the album Sports was my entire life. I guess it pretty much preoccupied me, I guess, through 83, 84, I guess. And uh, speaking to a member of the Huey uh, Lewis band, to me, is uh, as important as talking to Gene Simmons or Paul Stanley, quite frankly. So I sat down with guitarist Johnny Cola. And uh, fun fact, Johnny was in a band called Rubicon, which would later feature or featured Brad Gillis, Jack Blades, and Kelly Keegy. Oh, you think I know? I know those names. That's right. Rubicon had three members at one point of Night Ranger and one guy, one guy from the uh, Huey Lewis and the News Band. Anyway, Johnny and I uh, did this interview. We got along so great that we said, you know what? We are going to do a second interview, a part two. And we did a part two about two or three weeks later. And it's funny because I, I listened back to this tape and I said, okay, you can't ask him the same questions. And then we did the part two, and, and I'll explain it, play, explain it during part two. But I, but I was like, wait, did I ask him this, or did I mean to ask him this, or did I put this? Or I made these notes, and I was like, was the note to ask him this or not ask him this, or if asked him this, so don't repeat myself. Anyway, so in part two, I think I think I doubled down on some of the questions. But anyway, uh, let us get over to uh, to Johnny Cola, and uh, this is a, a special one in the sense that. Johnny uh, did the editing on this, so he uh, he uh, he took the raw audio and he pieced it together for you. So uh, I present to you, as prepared by the one and only Johnny Cola, here is guitarist Johnny Cola. We are speaking with uh, Johnny Cola of, of course, Huey Lewis in the News. A new album, Weather, is out now. Uh, and of yes, course, uh, there is a deluxe edition from uh, Walmart, which is actually very much worth the, uh, the the entry price. I guess is the best way to say it. But as we say in Montreal, bonjour, Johnny. How are you? Well, bonjour. I'm fine, thank you. I just uh, having a great time here. Uh, looking forward to this interview. Multitasking, you know, making some soup, feeding the dogs, go down to this base uh, studio basement uh, basement studio. It's uh, it's all good, man. It's a beautiful day today here in Marin County, California. It I just, is. I only, I only have to say, and I have to make sure that uh, this doesn't extend into 6 p.m. PST because um, the uh, debates are coming on here in the uh, in the lower 48. And I'd like to hear who's uh, what the Democrats have to say. I'm not going to say my political affiliation, but I'll vote for anyone who does not have a red comb over. 
<laughs> well, see, I'm bald, so you're never going to be vote. Well, actually, you might vote for me since I'm bald, actually. But uh, yeah, okay. Well, so we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll speed it up and we'll we'll get you out of here. And, and I did speak to a, a former bandmate of yours earlier today, uh, Brad Gillis of Night Ranger. But of course, back in the day, you uh, were in Rubicon together, and I told him that you had some guitars to sell, <laughs> jokingly. Oh, and right yeah, away yeah, he yeah. said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you have them email me." <laughs> so, so you might have a sale on your hand. <laughs> I bet he did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I'm, I'm too lofty for, for Brad. He knows that. So, But yeah, we had a great time in Rubicon. It was short but sweet. I was probably, uh, in uh, full disclosure here, I'll bet I was in four or five bands at once. Uh, because you're just busking, you know, and you're trying to make ends meet. And you'll do anything for a dime. And you'll do anything to make it and get a record deal. So that's what was going on with Rubicon. Jerry Martini got me involved in the band. Uh, they never made a record while I was involved. Um, but I can remember Jack Blades being insanely jealous because uh, I'd finish a rehearsal, let's say, at Jerry's place somewhere up in Sonoma County. And and Jack would say, so where are you going now? Are you going to go rehearse with Huey? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, actually, Jack, I, I think I am. He goes, Oh, Huey? You gonna go rehearse with Huey? And I said, Yeah, what's kind of gets caught in your craw there, huh? Well, hey, listen. <laughs> but it was all th- friendly banter. <laughs> th- things worked out with Huey, and and I do want to get into the early albums and the early time. But uh, I also, since, since you mentioned that you were doing these three, four bands at the same time and just busking and sort of, I just, of course, interviewed e- Emilio Castillo of Tower Power, and that's one thing he was saying about it. He was saying. Boy, the guys in Huey Lewis and the News are terrific players, but I don't understand why they're not going out and being part of whatever Ringo's All-Star Band or why they're not going to join some other thing. So before we get into the whole Huey Lewis weather and and I hear voices, why are you sort of homebound and not part of these other, I guess, super groups or, or established artists going out because... The talent is there, obviously. Sure. Well, let's see, Mitch. How do I, how do I say this gracefully? Um, regarding Ringo Starr and his All Stars, um, that's sort of a clean and sober outfit, and I do like a you know a bit of a pint every now and then. So that rules me out there. <laughs> and nothing against sobriety, but um, the great guys. I'm 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 uh, good friends with uh, Steve Lukather. And I know if I wanted to do something like that, I could make the pitch, probably get turned down, but what the hell? Um, I, I think it's not about the money. Uh, suffice it to say, um, if we went out in some form or another, it would be a lot more work for a much smaller audience and the travel would be different. Everything would be different. But in spite of all those things I say, most of all, I still hold hope that my man, my number one man's hearing is going to come back and, and we're going to be out there in a heartbeat. You know, you just, there's still that chance. Okay. So uh, do we, do we mm-hmm. want to talk about you and, and the hearing straight up front or do we want to get into the album and then work? Well, okay, you know what? It's here. Let, Entirely let's up to you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's here. Let's talk about that. He does of course have an, and God, my pronunciation Meniere's disease, which uh, affects the inner ear and it, it, uh, hearing loss and dizziness. 
you have said that you hope that he gets better. What are the chances of hoping they get better? We know with Brian Johnson of ACDC, they talked about in-ears, special in-ears that'll help balance stuff out and get him back on stage. Is that sort of mm-hmm. the same case with Yui? Do we need special in-ears? Does this disease just miraculously disappear? Is there a vaccine? Is there? I mean, and I don't want to sound ignorant, but I am ignorant of this disease. I mean, sure, you know, sure. I'm not a doctor. Understood. Well, to back those up, it's no yes and no. Is There is no cure. And Meniere's is, is a, um, well, you can't even use those terms anymore. It's a fickle person, let's say. It, it comes on and it appears in, in myriad ways. Uh, Huey's particular version of Meniere's is uh, a situation where you hear bass guitar, you know, boom, 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 boom. What Huey hears is potato chips. And that low end distortion, it basically masks the mids and the highs. Um, his hearing also fluctuates, you know, between a one and a 10, or it should certainly, but he only gets up to about a six and sometimes a one and a half and a two. So not only are his ears distorted, but um, there's a serious loss of hearing. And if you really want to back up, uh, my man had, uh, you know, hearing issues when he was a kid, you know, tubes and drainage and all those things that some of us have been through and everyone's shaking their head. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I was there. So he had that going. And, uh, you know, and to be completely transparent about this, Huey's been working with one ear for about 15 years or more. Uh, He lost uh, 80, 90 percent of his hearing in one side. And when this right side went out, when the other side went out, I can't remember my right foot from my left here. Um, that was, you know, sort of the nail in the coffin for the moment. Right. Well, okay. So, so, so there is hope, though, that maybe he can somehow figure it out and you'll get back to touring now. It, and I'm going to ask you the well, unpop. Yeah. I should probably finish it off. Okay. The good news is his hearing fluctuates. Uh, I've done several uh, tests with him in the studio and. And, uh, uh, you know, on a five or a six day, he can sing to open end uh, headphones and to little speakers out of a laptop. So the good news is his hearing fluctuates. If he was flatlining, um, you know, I'd start looking for another gig. <laughs> I'd produce records. That's what I'd do. Stay in my house and, and uh, multitask and produce records. But we still have a chance. And let's face it, you know, we... We all like to get up there on the planks, you know, for that 110 minutes or whatever it is and see the smiles on people's faces. Um, there's also the camaraderie of being in a, in a band with the same guys for, for four decades. And, you know, I miss that backstage banter and brushing each other's shoulders off uh, before we go on and telling bad jokes and, and being the brunt of a bad joke, whatever it is. We're like we're like old souls with each other. Yeah, I can imagine. And of course, a lot of folks think that that you and Huey Lewis start at sports in like 83. But of course, you go back before the Rubicon days to his uh, and I'm blanking on the name of the band that he was in before. But 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 Clover Clover. There you go, which is in my playlist. So it goes back to those (laughs) days and those clubs and all that. Um, All right. So let me ask you the, the, the unpopular question. But but understand how I frame it, because. 
would you consider going out while he's on the sideline as the news and, and be very clear with the audience. No, we're not replacing him. This is not a, a, you know, an abdication of the throne, but just to go out there and play the songs and say, we have a special guest this week who's going to sing and next week it'll be like, would you consider touring and bringing the music to the people without UE? But being very clear, listen, we're not replacing him. It's not a new singer. It's just us doing these gigs. Is that something that, that is, thought of or is that disrespectful or is that forget it like how would you take that never <laughs> in a word never you know we, we were we were a tight-knit organization and uh, uh there's all kinds of of formulas for bands but i think it's safe to say that huey lewis in the news uh the sum has always been bigger than the parts and I know lots of guys right now are either shaking their head no or yes. And we never let our egos overtake the main focus of the band. And that was to get out what we do best. Uh, we are a real democracy. Uh, I just, I could never imagine doing that. And that's been brought up by more than one person. Um, uh, if we did anything at all like that, I had a kind of funny concept of, of bringing out, um, you know, the music that original players in the band fancied. And, uh, you know, our musical history runs deep. I mean, Chris Hayes is an absolutely burned down uh, jazz and bebop player. And uh, we dabbled in some funny little uh, three, four piece hard rock stuff. I used to record on my four track. And as you know, I uh, kind of had my own little career going on the side. I could do some of my stuff. And, and I think I speak for, for all the principals that are still involved. I don't really have the gumption to get in there and do that and take it out on the road. I love our fans. I love what we did. But if we can't go out as a cohesive unit, really, at this point, why bother? I don't, I don't want to be, I won't name names. I don't want to be one of those bands that goes out and there's one band member left, you know, they're calling themselves <laughs> Joe Smuggins, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I would never uh, stoop that low and uh, compromise the brand that is Huey in the News. Okay, which is fair enough. Though I, I, mm -hmm. I, I could envision like, you know, special Vegas club dates with, you know, the news featuring whatever the guy from queen or whatever these days, you know, anyway, uh, but let me, let me get on to this, to, to the new album. We, we of course know that Yui has this hearing. It's only seven songs. My understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is you were working on an album and then this diagnosis came and you weren't able to complete it. How, how accurate is that description? And was it always intended hey. as an EP? <laughs> uh, okay. For how accurate was that? Might've been something who knows who maybe the com record company or the publicist cooked up and if you go back and count the songs that were pitched for this album we probably have a, a double cd for christ's sake you know what i mean um and we picked our songs carefully uh, i think it's why even though it's only seven songs long is why it's such a cohesive record and we're getting a lot of comparisons to let's say sports and stuff like that around the world which i'm extremely proud of uh, because we didn't want to compromise um, and 
and just put on three more songs just to fill out a record to make it 10 songs long. Um, those seven made the cut somewhere around September, uh, October of, uh, 2017. And of course, uh, we fell into the abyss with Huey at January 27th of 2018. And, uh, you know, that was it. We, we had what we had. I'd gotten all his vocals and, uh, but he had no problems in the studio uh, up until then. Okay. In fact, to this day, I'm sure if we got in there and fooled around and I did it just right, I could probably get him to sing to tracks. Um, it, it's a much different situation on stage, of course. You know, every musician knows the the low end is uh, it, it dominates a room, and uh, <laughs> it's impossible at this point, unfortunately. So, so there is a possibility that okay, he can't play, but he could maybe record down the road. But all right, so let me ask you about the songwriting mm -hmm. because if you go back through the history of the band, uh, a lot of the albums have, of course, cover songs on them. Sports had three, it had Honky Tonk. Uh, oh, by the way, yeah. Uh, sorry, Mitch. I want to cut something in. You can reel back, figure yeah. out how to put this in later. But yes, that's right. Everyone thinks the world of Huey and the News started with sports. It didn't, or maybe the. First hit on Picture This. We actually had a first record out, a self-titled debut album that you, I'm sure you know of, called Huey Lewis and the News. And it's young and vibrant and angry. And there's some, there's some great lyrics. And, and you can see the short hair and the jackets and the skinny ties. Uh, and I'm hoping at some point in time we can figure out a way to re-release that. But still working on it. Okay, so well, well Sorry in for fact, the cut in. no, that's fine. In fact, uh, I, I'm going to go right down to that one because you've got a song on there called "Who Cares," which probably has the greatest uh, guitar solo of of the band's career. It's that that "Who Cares" is just bloody brilliant. Okay, so so let's <laughs> let, let's start at the beginning then. With how about that? And Chris Hayes, right? That yeah. burning solo. Yeah. Chris Hayes might have been 22. Wow, wow. So okay. more like 21, 22 years old. Hey, Chris was just a monster. Chris and we need to convince him to come back. <laughs> yeah, I think he might do it at this point. He was such a monster, and uh, not a lot of folks know this, but here you go, full disclosure. I did not play guitar in a band in earnest until uh, we started Huey Lewis in the News. And our manager at the time one day came up to me quietly and said, you know, wow, you, you really compliment Huey's voice. And, you know, you're, you're invaluable to this thing we have going here. And uh, moving forward, he says, you know, it's kind of weird, though. You just stand there and play sax. Do you, do you do anything else? And I said, well, yeah, actually, I know, you know, I know my cowboy chords on guitar. <laughs> you know, one of those. <laughs> and he said, great, let's put a guitar on you. So I'll credit our manager for doing that. And to, to that end, I had the best teacher in the world. I had Chris Hayes almost 10 years my junior, who is, you know, just teaching me the most amazing stuff in the world. My hat will always be off to him. Such a tasty player. But okay, so let me go to this first one. And let's talk about musical direction. Because you, you listen to that first album. And it's got a very much sort of, and maybe you don't like my description, but I would call it sort of a power pop punk. It's got it's got a cheap trick kind of essence to it with maybe a little bit of Elvis Costello to it with maybe some of that early uh pop you know it's not a punk record but it's also not a pop record it's it's, it's got some aggressive edge to it yet 
And then by the time we get mm -hmm. to sports, and then by the time we get to four, if you go from the first album to four, it's as if we've got two completely different bands. So, so talk to me about that that sound and breaking out in the early '80s and being sort of a, <laughs> you know, a cheap trickish kind of Elvis Costello-ish kind mm -hmm. of thing, and then moving over to picture this, and then getting to sort of an arena rock sound. Uh, I've always called it preppy rock. I don't even know if that's a term, <laughs> but I invented it. Good enough for me. Yeah, we were the we were you know we was the boy next door, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. So let's talk see, about that. How, how do we how do we go from, you know, who cares? Trouble in paradise. Some of my lies are true, which is, admittedly, my favorite song that you've ever done. Uh, how do we go All from right. that? It's number one in my playlist. That's that's how important it is. But how do we go from that all the way down to um, the, the stuff on four, for example? How, you know, did, sure. did the record company come to you? Did MTV come to you? Did the management go, hey, we love you, but it's no longer the sound. If you want to be on radio, you got to. Or was it like, hey, yeah, <laughs> we've done that. Let's explore it. Like, was it you or was it them? Yeah, well, it was uh, some uh, combination Gotcha. Uh, the two. That's a loaded question, but I'll try to rattle through it here if I can. We we were a band, and our manager picked up on us, and he did one of these things. You know, give me six months. Here's 150 bucks each a month. Hold your breath. Give me six months. I'll try to get you a record deal. Great. So, meanwhile, we we're still writing songs. We're playing, jumping around California, trying to stay alive. And you got to remember, Huey and Clover. Uh, they'd made a couple records in England and they came back to Marin County, you know, with their tails between their legs, the whole Johnny rotten punk rock thing had hit, uh, you know, new wave was right around the corner. Nobody really knew it yet. And, and Huey brought a little of that back. I remember I was living in LA playing with Sly Stone and Huey and I remained friends, even though we were in different parts of the world, writing letters and talking on the phone and stuff, you know, one of those, a bromance, let's face it. <laughs> And so, um, you know, Clover comes home with their tails between their legs. They've not really made it as we thought they would, although in California we thought they were huge. And he wanted to start a band. And he wanted, first he wanted to get myself and the drummer to England to restart Clover. Nope, that ain't going to work. All right, we're coming home. Let's get a band going. Let's go jam with Nick Gravenitis, whatever. We'll be the horn section. Your sax and my harmonica will bum around Marin County. Great. So um, Huey comes home and we start this thing called the Monday Night Live Band. And it's really a platform to figure out who's going to be in Huey in the news. And we were conspiring and we we were figuring out heads and stuff. So also what I think a lot of folks don't know is Huey in the news, Huey Lewis in the news is comprised of two guys from Clover and three guys from my band, Soundhole, strangely enough. Bill Gibson, Mario Cipollina, and myself. See, we had a band, and and Huey used to come and watch us play, and that's how we became friends. And I used to go hang out with Clover, and their bass player would give me the stink eye, and and uh, <laughs> so that's that bit. And and so what happened is we finally condensed it down to a band, and we had six guys. Uh, our guitar player Chris was still on the fence. But we were writing songs like crazy. Our manager gave us six months. He said, here's 150 bucks a week, six months. I'll try to get you a deal. He got us a record deal with Chrysalis Records. Huey brought that punk 
uh, aggressive element back to California. And while, um, you know, a lot of folks were still wearing spandex and trying to look like and sound like Peter Frampton, we were sort of going that going a different way at the time. And it attracted Chrysalis Records. They, they liked edgy stuff and they kind of got it. So we had a three record deal with Chrysalis. We only have 10 or 12 songs. So that's that, you know. We're going to give them what we got. We'd written the tunes and boom, you know, take it or leave it. And we recorded the record in a very short period of time. Uh, we used a producer, uh, which was uh, much to my chagrin. Uh, I wanted to make the record on our own. I thought we were perfectly capable. But the whole idea was to make it fast and furious, sort of like the punk records at the time. And the problem is it sounded really small and really weird. <laughs> so... The producer kind of took our attitude to heart and we made this record that I'm afraid didn't crack the Billboard 200, I think. I don't think it did, actually. So that was... Huh? I don't think it did, actually. No, I don't think so. No? So those, uh, that, that thing's kind of sitting out there uh, for Huey Lewis and the News as a band, you know, to rediscover what was going on before sports knocked everyone out. Well, now you got a three-record deal. You're getting a little antsy because... You don't have a single, nothing happened. The record died to death. And as we're even out there on the road on, off the first record, we're killing them live, I got to say. Uh, and probably if I could make a, a comparison, sort of like uh, the police did behind their first effort. I mean, they were out there in a van, three guys in a van busking around in a <laughs> town to town, just killing the audiences. And we pretty much did the same thing. Uh, it was a lot of work, took a lot of years off our lives, but we did it anyhow. And we were writing the whole time. So picture this comes around and we had to get a little more serious. And uh, I'll credit our manager one more time. He, What he really liked about our band was what he called Beauty and the Beast. And uh, that was basically Huey's rough voice and my... Uh, a concept and my harmonic concept for backing vocals that he, he coined the term, you know, Huey Lewis, Huey Lewis in the news, beauty and the beast. And we all thought that was a great joke, but as it happens, it paid off on the second record and we got one away with, do you believe in love? Which is a song I want to ask you about if I can real mm -hmm. quick, because it was a, a song by supercharge, which was uh, included Mutt Lang uh, how did that come about? Did did they submit the song? Did you hear it and decide to record it? And ultimately, as sports hits and your stock rises in 84, 85, 86, Power of Love, uh, you know, Back to the Future, you're everywhere. And of course, Mutt Lang, you know, ACDC, Def Leppard. But at some sure. point, you guys never worked together. And I know you recently, like about a month ago, did an interview and he says, yeah, I'm still friends with, with Mutt. Why did the Mutt-Yui collaboration never never happen? <laughs> well, first of all, you just trumped me. Uh, did Mutt and a band release Do You Believe in Love? They released a song called We Both Believe in Love on their 1979 right. album Body Rhythm. Right. See? So as that happens, I believe, eh, I could be wrong, I think Mutt produced a Clover record over in England. Yes, he did. That was the connection. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, Huey is an amazingly amicable guy. I mean, he's just, if he likes you, you like him and the, and the rest is history. Uh, him and Mud hit it off real well and they become, uh, they became fast friends. And then you fast forward here, uh, Mutt's throwing songs at Huey, this and that. And, um, he threw, we both believe in love to us. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. You know, he says, man, it's, it's kind of a cool tune. And I said, yeah, man, I hear it. It's really good, man. The BVs are great. Everything. He goes, I can't sing that. I can't sing. We both believe in love. I'm not that kind of guy. What do we do? I said, I don't know. Change the lyrics, figure it out. So he rewrites the lyrics and calls it, do you believe in love? Uh, you would be <laughs> better versed than me to know whether he changed the words inside of the tune. He did actually but, change uh, it. And I, and I, I will say respectfully made it better. I, I've heard the original version a bunch of times. And when you hear, we both believe in, you, you go, what the f is that? What is that? <laughs> but then you hear, do you believe in love? And you credit. go, ah, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm going to take credit for that too. And I don't know who suggested it, but I sang all eight backing vocals on that tune. That's where the manager said, whoa, that's pretty cool, man. There's beauty in the beast, you know? <laughs> so, and we finally got one away there. But that's what happened with Mutt. And, and to get back to it, I think would probably become very obvious to you when I say it. Although we have great respect uh, for Mutt and everything he's done and, he, and what he does to, to the present, we are, we're really cut from different cloths. We're a self-produced band. We know what we want. We know how to get it. And it just wouldn't work. You know, it's like, it's almost like, you know, like a high school friend who you always had a crush on and you know, she's had a crush on you, but you both know better not to act on it. Do you know what I mean? Of course it doesn't. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so let me ask you this re real quick about producing your own records. I have always said, maybe incorrectly, that I think bands need an outside producer because you need outside ears to sort of get you away from being too self-indulgent and so on and so forth. But then you look at a band like Huey Lewis with picture, with picture This, with Weather, Sports, and all that, and you go, well, okay, that sort of beats my theory because you certainly can't complain that those albums were poorly done or, I mean, they're, they're, they're perfectly done. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. why not seek an outside producer? Why not go get Rick Rubin or or Bob Rock or I mean these, these are all the hard the heavy metal guys that I know. Mm -hmm. But but why not get one of those guys and say, <laughs> okay, we're turning this one over to you uh, because we want some outside ears. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, production is a strange animal, and uh, um, from the very beginning, we collectively knew what we wanted. That's a pretty tough one to come into for any producer. And to that end, I'll say <clears throat> for a second record, see, we'd worked with a producer on record number one. Picture this comes along and we're starting to write some pretty darn good songs for it. Uh, doing our best, writing tunes. and We're getting better at it, but we're also getting better at recording, hence producing. So um, it comes time to make the record. And I want to say is either the label our manager or the combination of the two, they want to stick us with another producer. And I can't name names, but we went through probably four or five of the top producers uh, there in the early 
mid eighties. We brought them up. Uh, we gave them a, we threw them a bone, you know, Hey, let's, let's go in and cut this tune. See how this works. And at the end of the day, we sent them all home, you know, one by one said, we can do that. I know we can do that. And matter of fact, we can do it better. All we need is an engineer that can get the sounds we want. Well, I've taken care of that now, thankfully. So we don't even need an engineer anymore. But that was, that was the turning point. We knew we could make our own records and we could make them good. And that got us through, picture this, and our first uh, you know, top 10 uh, song. So then you move on to sports and now we're down to our third record. And, you know, everyone's holding their collective breath. And uh, Could have been the end of the band. If you, if you had screwed it up, it could have been the end of the band. Um, just real quick on, on, an, on an aside, because I, I do want to get into sports. And, and I know we only have about 10 minutes left because it's almost 9 o'clock here uh, or mm-hmm. 6 o'clock. But in terms of production, and if fans haven't had a chance, in 2001, you put out an album called Plan B. And you can just, for, for, I mean, forget the songs on there for a second. The sound of that album is probably the sweetest sounding album that I have ever heard, well, or, or certainly one that wasn't produced by Mutt Lang. It just sounds mm-hmm. huge. It sounds full. It sounds pleasant. It sounds, you, you just put that in the, on the earphone, in the earphones and you listen to Plan B and you go, holy fuck, who produced that? And you look at you and, and you and you go, wow. What a miracle. I mean, that, that album is perfect. But back to sports. <laughs> uh, good, good. Well, I'm glad you like it. You know, that's really, yeah, we were getting, we were getting heavy there. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back, but, you know, I'm, uh, let's say, somewhere in the deep 60s, okay? And so everybody else in the band, we have gotten better at what we do in all respects. And uh, I personally have really put myself in the producer's seat not because i demanded it or anything it's just sometimes you get things right and they become more right over time um and it goes a little bit back to that thing about why didn't you use mutt or why didn't we use these other guys uh there's a lot of production techniques there's the engineer who got the production hot seat and doesn't know a darn thing about music except what he likes and what he doesn't like or she um, on the other end of that spectrum, I have to name this name because he knows it and the world knows it. There's the Todd Rundgren production. You make a record with Todd, it sounds like Todd. I've always thought somehow that I fall somewhere in the middle. And that is I'll take what the band has and make the best of what they have and try to keep my personal influences at a minimum. The hardest thing possibly in the world to do is to do that with guys you've known for 30 years. It's a frightening thought when I think back, but we have gotten better and better at it. And, uh, I mean, to this day, I've just, I have an absolute ball with these guys, you know? <laughs> in terms of making albums with the guys, do they walk in and go, okay, Johnny's producing this and it's been successful, let him go? Or do you get in there and every time it's like a, a wrestling match and you go, no, this is how it's going to be. Just do it. Like, it, it, do you, is there just sort of a, we know what we want and let Johnny do it. Or is there still sort of a creative struggle yeah. and eventually you win? <laughs> how does, how does, how no, does no, it work? No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. We, we've known each other so long. We know that 
Sean's going to come in and, and, and work on the knobs, maybe sometimes one of the parts. And we know Bill's going to play with the drums uh, uh, because that's a serious setup, let's face it. Meanwhile, while they're futzing, I'm trying to make sure it sound, the sound coming through the speakers is, is uh, what I know we're after. Um, what am I trying to say here? We just, uh, like I said, we've slowly fallen into our roles and we're comfortable with them. And we push and pull each other a little bit. And and, uh, every so often, someone has a radical idea that works. Every so often, they have a radical idea that doesn't. No one gets their feelings hurt. No one crawls out of the studio going, never again. You know what I mean? It's a happy meeting place. And we know there's going to be a certain amount of, of teeth gnashing which is okay. And most of all, though, I think we go in prepared and we know the track we're going to cut and what we're going to play on the basic track. And that's extremely important. Yes, there are some, there's a little leeway there, but uh, we've already kind of tweaked the arrangement and we know that the modern recording techniques allow you to change your arrangement later and this and that. So that's for kids, you know, that conflict. (laughs) <laughs> that, yeah, it really is. But but unfortunately, as you know, it's broken up many bands and caused many bruised egos and stuff. Um, I, I did want to talk about mm-hmm. the songwriting. I, we, I mentioned it a little bit before, but what I was trying to get to is on on every album, there there seems to be outside writers or songs that are come. You look at Jacob's Ladder, which is a Bruce Hornsby uh, song. You look at Simple as That, which is a... Um, tower of power song you look at you know do you believe in love you look at you know buzz 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 etc etc was there a constant conscious decision to always have a cover or or, or some kind of outside thing or was that a management thing or, or how did it always come up that there was always one song if not two songs if not three songs that were from outside no there was never a conscious effort there it's just a matter of, uh, hey, how did we do? You know, here we are in the 11th hour. We've come up with so many tunes. Do we have enough tunes um, to get this record done? Or should we call uh, 55 of our best friends, you know? I mean, why wouldn't somebody do that? You know, I, that, Mitch, it comes back to exactly what you said, egos. You know, do I have six songs on the record? Chris Haynes has five or whatever that is. It's just what are the 10 best songs? What are the 12 best songs? Uh, who likes what? And let's get that done to make the best record we can. Uh, that is to have the best cuts on the record we can. So that's really the thinking behind that. Let me, I'll say this also. It, sometimes it gets like a feeding frenzy. You call a buddy up and say, hey, we're looking for, uh, you know, hey, what do you, what do you got this year? Well, they send you what they think is their best song and you refuse it, maybe. Then they send you three others that aren't even as good as the first one. You know, they're just trying to get a song on the record. So, but uh, that's just healthy competition, man. It <laughs> is, and 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 there are yeah. two bands, by the way, that I have always thought that their covers are better than the originals. Whenever I hear something from Metallica mm-hmm. and it's a cover, I go, "It's a better version." It just is. <laughs> and of course, they're down the street from you, right? Of course, right. Sure. And then, and Huey Lewis it always seems to be, you hear a tattoo giving it up for love, no disrespect to the Phil Lynott version, but I think it's better. You listen to When I Write the Book, no disrespect to a Nick Lowe and his gang, but I think you're, you have the better version and, and so on and so forth. So 
you know, you're, you're doing, sure. you're doing it. Well, uh, if you doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't turn it into something different, I don't know about better, but if you can't turn it into something different, why do it? And, you know, for every guy, you know, from Elvis Costello to, to Rod Stewart and, and, uh, Mike McDonald, who put out these uh, beautiful, you know, 50s and uh, 60s Motown efforts, they're great. And a lot of those songs are better than the originals. And they've put their signature on the tunes. And that's what's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And and at some point, I would love to hear the Thin Lizzy version of Bad is Bad or the Phil Lynott version of Bad is Bad get officially released and not just leaked to YouTube. Um I will finish on this for today because we, we I will stick to the nine o'clock so that you can go watch the uh, the debates. Uh, okay, uh, because that's a, that's a fair thing to do, and of course I could go on forever. Uh, back mm-hmm. to the future, <laughs> you know, sports comes out, huge success, puts the band on the map. Up here in Canada, honestly, it was the first time I heard of you because I didn't hear of, of the Huey Lewis uh, self titled. Uh, picture this. I think I might have seen Do You Believe in Love? But honestly, I think I saw the video after sports came out and they went, hey, the, the band existed before. Um, <laughs> but but talk to you. You know, listen, Canada's a different beast, right? I mean, things are a little slower sometimes. Uh, yeah. but, but but talk to me about this back. To no, the no. Hey, Mitch. Yeah. Mitch, we have plenty of slow people down here in the lower 48. I'm sure you do, but musically, listen, it's it's a little bit more challenging sometimes. I mean, you had MTV, I guess it was 81, right? Video killed the radio sure. stars, something like that. We didn't get mm-hmm. we didn't get much music till 84, so we were a little bit behind the sure. times. Um Sure, I remember much music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good old much music. But okay, so sports comes out, you're on top of the world and then Somebody says to me, hey, Mitch, have you heard their new song, Power of Love? And I go, what new song, Power of Love? It's not on sports. What are you talking about? They don't have a new album now. And they produced a single and I went, buggers. Why is that not on the album? <laughs> that was my reaction. Uh, but but talk to me about yeah. that. Was that a song that was just sort of sitting in the vault and, and you decide to use it? Do, do the producers come to you and say, you, we need you to write a song, in fact, two songs uh, for us? Or was this, you know, and, and how did that change the band? Because it seemed to me that after that came out, we went from sports hysteria to a whole new level of, of, of hysteria. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about well, Back to the Future. Yeah, well, first of all, um, from the nature of your question, I would compare Power of Love to my quest to figure out the Beatles' Hey Bulldog and why it was never on a record, where did it come from? Of course, we didn't have the the, the internet, uh, we didn't have any medium at the time to figure that stuff out, and I didn't figure it out for years, you know, that Bulldog, you know, missed this or that, and it never got on a record, and it only was the B-side of a single, and I loved the tune, I couldn't figure out how the Beatles missed that. Well, that never got on a record. So, Power of Love, I guess, is something similar. You know, we're hotter than a $3 pistol on a Saturday night behind sports. And Huey gets a call from, uh, what is it, Bob Zemeckis or somebody. They want us to write a tune for um, uh, Back to the Future. And I don't think it got pitched to me or I dropped the ball on it. I can't remember. But uh, first thing Huey said was, you know, well, we don't really do that, you know, write a song for a movie. I mean, no, no, no. We we just want a, a Huey in the News song. The, the the protagonist of this movie likes Huey Lewis in the news and they want a Huey in the news song. Oh, okay, great. We'll give it a shot. So 
uh, I don't know, you can go online and figure out how the song developed. But um, the first demo was kind of, eh, Bob Zemeckis and the powers that be thought it wasn't quite peppy enough or something. I don't know how to explain it. So it came back to us and I'm sort of, uh, I have a nickname in, in the organization here. Uh, I'm known as the dentist because <laughs> when we, <laughs> it's a good nickname. Um, when we get in the studio, yeah, when we get in the studio or writing a song or working on this or that, I really get in there and pick not as bad as Mud Langer, mind you, but, I really like to get in there and dig, figure out how to make this a better song. I don't care who wrote it. I don't care if I was a part of it. I just want to make it better for the common cause of Huey and the News. So Huey suggested Chris get together with me at my little home studio and try to rework the demo. And I came up with a, you know, all I really did uh, from my own side was uh, rearrange it. I cut a bridge out and some other uh, part that kind of went on too long. But I think my biggest contribution was simply and it didn't seem like anything at the time. And as it turned out, that little horn punch on a synthesizer became almost strangely as important as the lead vocal in a weird way. It was the secondary star figure that, you know, held the intro and the choruses and the right out and I think that's kind of what production is about, you know, paying attention to... Absolutely. Uh, and so identifiable. I don't mean to cut mm-hmm. you off, but so identifiable. You know, when mm-hmm. you, what was that? Uh, Name That Tune. Remember that TV show, Name That Tune? You of hear, course. you hear, uh-uh, or whatever from Power of Love, and you don't need to hear anything else. You go, Power of Love, Huey Lewis. Like, there's, there's a lot of songs <laughs> where you don't hear that. You know, there's, there's songs sure. where you need to hear, like, a, a two-minute clip, and you go... Yeah, I still don't know. Yeah, I still don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But with Power of Love, you hear that, you go, Power of Love, Huey Lewis, Back to the Future, 1985, let's go. What else you got for me? I mean, it's, 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 yeah. it's, 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 it's a riff. That's it's right. like, it's like Aerosmith's, you know, Walk This Way, you hear that, and you go, okay, I got it, Aerosmith. I mean, it's, it's, it's that powerful. Um, going back, uh, yeah, going back even further, we had this, this show on radio, uh, I don't know, KKAS or one of the KUWB called Name It and Claim It. What they do is play a half a second of a song. And kids would call in from all over the Bay Area. That's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. No, no, bang, they get the buzz. Okay, then they play a second of the song. All the kids would call in, name the song. No, can't claim it. And pretty soon they get up and so finally some kid, you know, they're up to a second and a half of the tune. Some kid would say, Rolling Stones, 19th Nervous Breakdown. Ding, 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 you win. <laughs> Very exciting stuff. Well, you, so don't, have, you, you don't have to get that far with Power riffs, Love. Yeah. Right? Those signature riffs become extremely important in production. And uh, I hate to use the term. I've always hated it. But ear candy is important on the radio. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you, the, the, Huey Lewis's career is built on ear candy. And since we were talking about Mutt Lang... Sorry to say, but you go back and listen to Hysteria, the Def Leppard album, that is 60 mm-hmm. minutes of ear candy. It is sh- sugary, sweet, pour some sugar on me, whatever you want to call it. But oh, yeah. it, it, it it's, you know, it's, it's forget saccharin. And that is full sugar. And it's great. Um, yeah. And by the way, <laughs> since, since you mentioned Hey Bulldog, if you haven't heard the version that Alice Cooper does, you should go check well. that out. Because Alice does a <laughs> k- killer version uh, of Hey Bulldog. Now... It is past Fantastic. nine o'clock. Should should we? 
say bonsoir for today and then maybe reconvene for a part two again yeah i'd love to do a part two because i I, we we literally got from 1980 to 1983 (laughs) yeah 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 and we haven't talked about you know uh, uh, yeah go ahead a lot of guys are asking you know weather and of course we are going through some uh, tumultuous times here hewing the news and uh, and weather seemed appropriate we're getting older things are getting a little darker but you know we're nowhere near the finish line i guess that's fair to say and you know there's the uh, different section of the newspaper besides the sports section there's weather and there's the comic section but i like my line best is you know why do you call it weather and they say well you know for the moment Climate change has been a bit overused. Well, you know what? I actually thought maybe uh, in my own little creative way, I thought it should have been weather, W-H-E-T-H-E-R, like whether or not to continue or whether or not to go on or whether or not or, you know, expressing some kind of choice or, you know, whether or not I should buy this album. I thought that would have been kind of cute with the same picture, the same Golden Gate Bridge and the whole thing. But instead of going weather with it, anyway. That's my own little creative, uh, <laughs> creative thing. That that'll be the uh, the re-release in a couple of years. Uh, I do want to just quickly mention before we leave, you did an album called "I Hear Voices," I believe, two thousand twelve. You did "Lucky Devil." Uh, what was that? Two thousand ninety nine. Anyway, yeah, you tell me. A while, a while back, you're better at this than me. Oh, I'm I I am the research king when it comes to these things. But you are. Uh, we do have the new Huey Lewis weather album. You are working on a a cappella version of I Hear Voices. When will that be ready? Are you recutting exactly the same songs or are you recutting like three of the songs and then have eight new ones? Uh, And if you do crazy little thing called Love by Queen again, if you do not put Ready Freddy in it, I I can't go on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but when... well, it's, Mitch, it's actually just the it's just the opposite. I'm taking all the cuts I already did, and I'm removing instruments and getting it down to actually the way I originally wanted to make the record, which was a cappella. But as the tracks started coming together, it just sounded better as as a band. And I tried to pick up on that on that uh, on that open sounded. Uh, 60s feel like everyone's standing in the same room cutting this thing and so I went with it and then later on I thought you know if I took the drums off this and took the bass off and it hand claps tambourine and vocalist that's what I was thinking in the beginning so I'm about three or four tracks into it and it's really really fun I get down there and it just man, it makes me laugh <laughs> pulling this stuff up <laughs> Oh, I, I can't wait to hear it. Uh, you, and of course, you do cover yourself. You cover naturally by uh, Huey Lewis. Uh, what else in there? Uh, well, the, the crazy well, little thing called Love, mm-hmm. I think uh, you, you got to throw back in Ready Freddy because there, there are two I'll bands. consider that. There's a band from England <laughs> called Thunder, and their lead singer is called Danny, and they do a cover of it, uh, and they go, instead of Ready Freddy, they go Ready Danny, and it's like, no, no, it's not Ready Danny. Don't. That's just wrong. <laughs> Don't yeah. do that. Uh, but on that, uh, enjoy the <laughs> debates. As we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. We, mm-hmm. if merci you, beaucoup. if you ever are up to it, we will do a part two because I could uh, deconstruct and 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 go through the career uh, bit by bit. And I do want to hear about the <laughs> uh, the solo career. You do have two albums. A third one coming out. 
a lot of great right. stuff and uh i got a couple in the can i just can't find the time to cut them i've written more songs than i have time to make so it's a strange juxtaposition compared to 45 years ago when i'm staring at a four-track machine with no ideas you know no beans in my brain musically it's it's um it's it's a great place to be, but uh, I wish I had more time to to make records. And I got to I got to add one thing about naturally on my record. Uh, I hear voices. Uh, several of those tracks are from my original demo that I pitched to Huey in the News uh, as a as a six eight swing thing, and I kept Chris Hayes's little jazz guitar on it, and, and maybe I resung some BVs, but that's how I originally conceived the tune. And we're stuck in, golly, I think we're in L.A. Uh, sorry, I think we're in New York uh, mixing at the power station. And it's like, you know, if you guys had one more tune, man, one more tune, more money. One of those guys, you know, one of those admin hanging around. So somebody's idea, I think Huey, we decided to uh, pick the tempo up of Naturally and cut it in, let's say, studio a while we're mixing the record in studio b and we finished naturally and shoved it over to b and mixed it and it got on the record oh, it worked out i love that record and of course you you redid uh, little bitty pretty one which uh, eventually came out on uh, four chords and several years ago so there's a lot of uh, a lot of great stuff right. it's, it's it's a great i mean it's it's a really really fun album i i was especially pleased with i hear voices i think that's a, a just a in fact i have it in front of me that's what you hear banging in the background there uh <laughs> but but a great album and I, I at some point if we get to do a part two i do want to discuss all the harmonies and the vocal because when you listen to the backing vocals the bvs as as you've been referring to them mm -hmm. th there is no band to me greater than Huey Lewis and you could and yes I've mentioned Def Leppard and yes they've got a lot of great backing vocals on their albums but those are you know they're they're comped versions they're 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 uh, they're, they're the thing about Huey Lewis is especially live you do those background vocals live unless unless I don't know something but it, sure. it, you're you're a real no, band there's no tricks Right, there's no tricks. There's no and, man, there's no man behind the curtain. And that's just that is unbelievable to have that background vocal okay. harmonization, melody, whatever you want to call it. Just with the guys on the stage is phenomenal. Not many bands can do that. A lot of bands have to in the studio, you know, layer twelve tracks and blah 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 and this and that. And on stage, they're triggering this and trigger. Anyway, it, it yeah. is. Uh, yeah. We had a moment. Uh, I think we won a BPI award, British Music Award, for something, and we're supposed to perform, I guess, and we're on stage. I don't remember a lot of it, not because of any uh, medicinal reasons. I just it was one of those things. Everyone's there, you know, Beatles and George Martin and everyone you ever admired, and we're up there working. And Phil Collins is there playing piano. He goes, "Wow, hearing the news, right? You guys can really sing." <laughs> Surprise! I just got a big kick out of that. Yeah, and I can I imagine you're going to uh, whatever the MTV Awards, and they go, "So, uh, where are your tracks? We need to uh, plug them in so that they're ready for the show." And you're like, "No, we don't have tracks." Well, yeah, of course you do. Everybody does. And it's like, "No, no, we're we're, we're live. <laughs> we're we're real." Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, my 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 greatest bit, regret I'm is that I've only seen. That. Yeah, it, it, it's phenomenal. There's there's a magazine in the UK called Classic Rock, and they they put out a question. They asked me to to, to answer about the greatest bands with those vocals. 
and everybody was saying, oh, Def Leppard this and blah, blah, blah. And I went, hey, Huey Lewis in the news. And they just went, oh, yeah, you're right. And people don't think of it, but it's like, yeah, listen to that. Listen to, you know, Heart and Soul. Listen to Heart, you know, listen to any of the songs. It's like, oh, fuck, yeah, listen to that. You're right. Anyway, anyway, go, go. Well, thanks for being such a massive fan and. Why don't we do this again? I would love to do this again. I'd love to, and I'd love to focus a little bit more on Lucky Devil and the Johnny stuff, and then, uh, you know, start talking about um, the, the the late '80s and early '90s. The music business changed. Uh, sure. The band's focus changed. Uh, to me, I think you, I think it went from we're putting out original stuff to to Plan B to the, the chords one, and, and anyway, for. Uh, mm-hmm. À la prochaine. Part two uh, all, coming soon. All good stuff, man. Uh, thanks for being so thorough and a great fan, Mitch. Yeah, listen. And um, good, we'll do it again. Here's a little uh, a little thing that I'm never going to show anybody, but there is a video of me at 14 years old with a, a put together uh, head headset mic, lip syncing the entire sports album in my bedroom. It is in a vault. <laughs> I am not releasing it to anybody, but there is a, I guess, a 35 or 40 minute tape of me lip syncing to every single song on that when I was 14. And that will only be released. Uh, I, I will let the estate no, wait release a that. Wait a minute, Mitch. I, hold on. Hold on. I have a few things you might want. So yes. there might be a reciprocal here. Oh, we might have to. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll have to do a trade. It's 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 quite it's quite a spectacular thing. And and the best part is that I was I did it in my pajamas with a headband. Right. Fantastic. But I will I will a lover let, boy headband. A lover boy head. Of course, I'm Canadian. Uh, yeah. that, in fact, that's what it was. It was a John McEnroe yeah. headband. Uh, there you, you know, go. To be a little to be a little cooler. But I I will yeah. I will let my estate release that in 35 years from now. <laughs> good good there you go uh, well let's pick this up uh, but okay we off the record I will hit this has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon for more exclusive content and interviews subscribe on iHeartRadio Spotify Apple Podcasts on YouTube and many more follow Mitch on all the socials especially Twitter at Mitch LaFon and on Instagram at Mitch underscore LaFon get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch